Welcome to Trowadron Legends and Lore. Episode 32, Caden and Narcilla. Well, hello and welcome to Trollodrin Legends and Lore. I am Chad Corey. Thank you so much for taking a moment out of your day to listen to this next installment of this ongoing podcast series. And for those who are just joining me, this is an ongoing monthly podcast uh, series in which we talk about various legends and lore related to the world of Trollodrin. And in particular, we're looking uh, for this episode at continuation of the cults of Trollodrin. We're talking about some fiendish princes and princesses and how they kind of interconnect and do things nefarious and otherwise in the world of Trollodrin and also across the cosmos. So without further ado, let's dig into the next two installments. Here are the two individuals, I should say. For our topic today, we're looking at still demonic princes. This time we have a demonic prince and a demonic princess. We're going to start off with the prince whose name is Caden. And Caden is a olive-skinned individual with gray hair, and he's a demonic prince with the bottom half of a large brown centipede with black legs and the top half of an olive-skinned titan. His gray hair is often left wild and curly, but a crown of three-inch ivory horns can still be clearly seen above his head. The biggest feature, though, is his three blue eyes. Two are just like any other, and they rest in the same place as normal eyes would rest, but with a third eye of the same size resting above his nose and between the other two eyes of his head. While his top bottom half keeps himself up to 15 feet tall, he can raise himself on even higher, going as high as 20 feet by extending himself another five feet and leaving the remaining five feet of his centipede body behind him. Caden only wears a tunic on his upper half, this usually of a rich or fine design, which can vary in both color and style from time to time and place to place. He also wears silver and golden circlets above his forehead. When it comes to combat, Caden prefers segmented plate armor on his upper body. He can also make use of a small shield, and for weapons he often enjoys spears and short swords. Let's talk a little bit about Caden's court. Caden has established Calbrix, a fortress deep in a forest and hidden from just about any foe or threat in the second level of the abyss. Here he plots and plans his next moves while hanging on to what gains he has made thus far. He tends to adopt a more aggressive approach to increasing and keeping his power, including raiding and dominating lands around him when the time is right. His desire is to be the most powerful demonic prince in the second level, as well as search for a way for the third and seek a way to establish himself there as well. He has a larger collection of forces to watch over, these being ten demonic lords, seven greater demons, and then a wide assortment of demons and demon-aligned abysmal incarnates. Unlike other demonic princes and princesses, Caton did not really have the direct input as far as twisting and corrupting various races or creatures on Trollodon for his own personal benefit or use. So that is something that is unique in his establishment. He's not necessarily known for, but he does have a cult on Trollodon nonetheless. For Caden, making cults on Trollodon is really about him recruiting more people for his forces in his bid for new land and territory in the abyss. The more he can bring to him in their deaths and the more sword arms he has at his disposal. 
To this end, he isn't really concerned what the cult is about or does, as long as it brings him their spirits upon death. This has allowed for a wide collection of cults to have sprung up across Trollodon over the years. Their mission is often determined by the leading priest, whom Caden corrects as needed if they get too far out there or too soon and jeopardize the greatest amount of people he can bring into the fold. Caring little for the cults themselves helps in him keeping most of his focus on the abyss and his plans there. This also lets him to keep the rewards simple for his mortal followers, stringing them along long enough until they find their way into his army. Given this varied take on things, it can make it challenging for people to track down the cults, let alone detect them to begin with, as their agendas can and does vary so widely. This has made it harder for others to try and break them up, leaving them often to grow and expand to their fullest potential until plans are fully enacted that brings them further into the light of day. And when they do, depending upon who and what is affected, they can be facing a very collection of opposition. But whatever they are detected, as with all cults, most are more than happy to do away with them and their practitioners as expediently and permanently as possible. And given, like I said, the, the uniqueness of the cults and that they're so kind of random formed, there isn't really a, a strong collective body of belief as far as holy texts or scriptures or basic tenets of beliefs or anything in, in general. Just the idea that if you serve Caden, Caden is going to take care of you, help you out, whatever that form might be. It could be, you know, financially, it could be relationally, it could be, you know, social, economic, it could be a lot of different different combinations, power, whatever whatever can float someone's boat, he'll try and find a way to get his way in there and say what needs to be said to accomplish the gathering of folks into a large enough number where he can accomplish his purposes on the planet as well as secure enough sword arms, like we said, in his eternal battle in the abyss. Other than that, his holy symbol is called the White Spiral, and it gets its name from the spiral created out of a centipede's body. Uh, the spiral naturally is white, and sometimes it can be found over a brown or gray background. The spiral itself is carved as a bas-relief on a two-inch metal disc that serve as pendants connected to brown or gray cords. And again, these are the holy symbols of the priest more often than not. The common laity, the, the basic cult members, aren't necessarily going to, to wear them, maybe on high special ceremonies and things like that, but usually it's just a, a mark for the sign of the authority and the place the priest has in the cult, like, like in most cults. And given, like I said, he didn't have a major impact on the, the world, that's kind of the extent of Caden's influence and presence we're going to get into at this particular time. So again, I hope you enjoyed that part. Now we're going to transition into the second person who has a little bit more input and uh, influence on the world in general. Her name is Narsala. She is the first demonic princess that we'll be covering today. And she, as you'll see, she has a very large imprint on Trollaran in general. And you can probably tell what extent she has based on the title, which is her title, I should say, which is the mother of Minotaurs. So, Narcella basically resembles a black-haired, olive-skinned titaness with a black scorpion tail, tawny-covered deer-like hind legs and from the knees down, and deer antlers growing from her head. Her green eyes are always alert, and she keeps her long hair, keeps her long, excuse me, and often will keep a couple small side braids in it, further adorned with jewels or jewelry. Uh, she enjoys wearing long, sleeveless, flowing gowns, these of a darker color and varied in pattern and design. Added with this is her love of fine jewelry, 
which again can and does vary in style and form based on her current preferences and environment. But when it comes to combat, she wears a suit of brigadine armor. For weapons, she has a few more options. Narcella's tail has a deadly stinger that, when it strikes, kills the victim with an extremely potent neurotoxin that stops the heart and paralyzes the body. Her preferred weapon is a glaive, though she often keeps some throwing daggers handy on her person as well. And let's talk a little bit about her court. Oh, by the way, she stands about 15 feet tall. Her horns are about a foot long from her head, those deer horns. And her tail, her scorpion tail, is about four feet long. And again, she's olive-skinned and green-eyed. Let's talk a little bit about her court now. Narcella has never been afraid to go big and push as far as she can and then beyond. It has helped her in times past, but also contributed to some losses that have set her back quite a bit even taking her life on more than one occasion. But she's rebounded and rebuilt herself back up to where she was before and better than before. Narcella currently commands a large fortified city named Tassana as her own and some territory around it, along with having some fingers into local trade routes and other ventures. This is the most recent domain she's claimed on the first level of the abyss, having recently started over from the second level where she was killed. She has 15 demonic lords who help her to see things along with 10 greater demons and several thousand demons and demon-aligned abysmal incarnates under her rule. The city itself is a multiracial realm where many have come to find her protection or rule favorable to others in the area. She's still mindful of her visit to Trollodon millennia ago and curious about seeing how much more influence she can wield with the occasional cult or finding another way to set foot there again, outside of using a guise. She's also not afraid to increase her own power, always trying to find a new edge or way to better secure what she's gained, crushing any threat, real or imagined, that could get in the way. And obviously, as we mentioned, she is created, credited with the creation of the Minotaurs, as she was the first to get in and corrupt some Minotaurs, and eventually created the race. Again, these are for her own personal armor or benefit, like many demonic princes were doing at the time. Uh, these obviously have stayed and developed and grown over the uh, centuries since then. And if you are familiar, we don't talk, talk a lot about it, but there is a whole other populated area beneath the southern hemisphere where there is a big section controlled by minotaurs. So she still has a big influence down there, and she has an influence in uh, areas particularly where minotaurs are prevalent, but also... Some monstrous races have come to her and uh, along the way throughout the centuries. Her cults are rather sporadic and short-lived, not taking much root beyond the original founders. And these, themse these themselves often have differing reasons for forming a cult in the first place. That said, however, she does take an interest in her creation from time to time, checking in to see how things have changed and slash she did so on the planet and with them. Her cults have become the opportunity for a way to get information and maybe some other things of note or interest through which it would serve her later. She also uses her cults to limit and even stop the influence of Cuthon and other gods and divinities on the Minotaurs, steering them back into things and purposes more aligned with her own designs and purposes and even finding ways to continue her corruption in a way over the, the race for her own personal curiosity. She also uses the cult from time to time to stir up various infighting and wars to further prune and strengthen the race, showing her just what potential remains 
and then what is possible for the race in general for their own inspiration, for her own inspiration. But such actions often lead to a rapid collapse and end to her cult, which is seen as the instigator of such incidents. But those who have sided with her and have died get added to her army and increase her ranks of followers, which is always a positive result as far as she sees it. Kuthon obviously is not a fan of Narsala, whom he sees as a corrupting influence over a race he wants to win to his side. Other cults also don't think that highly of her as her followers, or her followers, but the light gods and their followers see her as truly trying to undo any positive progress they might have made with the Minotaurs as a whole and bringing them to a better place than their former darker origins. Narsala isn't concerned with such things, nor does she concern herself with anything outside her own personal objectives. Whatever happens to her followers in the meantime often isn't of much greater concern as long as her present set of objectives are achieved. And this isn't as... It's this and little else that keeps and holds her attention in the day-to-day run of things. And let's just turn our attention real quick to the religion in general. What are they called? They're called Narsolians. And like any cult, they don't really have a holy text, like we've been saying already in previous episodes, or really a main tenant structure of outfits or things like that. But we have the holy symbol called the Twin Glaives, and it's a set of crossing glaives. Um, These are always portrayed in red and placed over a black background. When worn as pendants, the glaives are carved into a two-inch metal disc in bas relief. These then are attached to a red or black cord and dyed or dyed leather stripes. And for dress, they typically wear gray robes with black sashes. The, The garb is practical, obviously for all purposes, special holidays or or just regular day-to-day meetings. And she does have some tenets of a sort, even though she doesn't have a real uh, stricture as far as scriptures go. But these are some of the listings of the tenets. Basically, embrace your true self and flourish. The strong shall rule and the weak shall serve. If it does not advance the race, it hinders it. And devotion and loyalty to Narcella bring power and place. Obviously, you can see where the conflict would come in with uh, Kuthon and with uh, Minotaurs and other similar aligned monstrous races or, or belief people or belief systems for people where there's a conflict with stuff already going on out there. And we already talked about their belief systems, how they're going to achieve that. And I don't think I gave you the name of the followers for our good friend Caden. So let me quick pull that up for you and get that out to you as well. They're called Cadenites. So now you have the full full extent of that there. But that's basically going to be the extent we're covering today for Nasala. Uh, obviously, Nasala has been around for a long time, and she's had a great impact and influence on things, as I said, with the Minotaurs, and there are some, some historical aspects to things that will be probably covered in later editions of stories and tales and incarnations of the world setting I don't really want to get into right yet. But there are things in the works and stuff I'm planning there too. So I just wanted to give you the rough overview of these two individuals like I've been doing, and hopefully it was of a benefit and of interest to you. If you have any questions, concerns, commentary, or anything else you wanted to share my way, please feel free to email me at lore, L-O-R-E, at chadcorrie, C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com, and let me know what's going on. If you have any other questions or general questions as well, uh, feel free to send them my way about the podcast with you know, the upcoming episodes, formatting, things of that nature. I'd be more than happy to take a look at them and see if I can include the answers and the question in an upcoming episode and 
see if I can share that with other, other people who might have a similar interest or concern that you addressed as well. Uh, in general, too, I still keep putting this out there. It's still interesting to see where you're getting hold of this podcast. If you're able to share that with me, I just, I'm just curious to see, you know, where, where location in the world you're coming from and through what channel you're finding this. It's just always interesting to see what is working, what isn't working, and make more informed decisions uh, accordingly on that. So otherwise, thank you so much for listening. We'll get back to the next episode with some more demonic princes and princesses. And keep going on this process until we wipe the cults out and move into the next exciting stuff we can share after that. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.